Welcome to Thriving is the Goal, a podcast about how to thrive in work and life. My name is Tim Chan. I'm a business coach. I run a small marketing company, and I'm also a certified working genius facilitator. My name is Mark Lechemenin. I'm a chartered financial analyst, executive coach in training, and a student of small business. So today we'll be doing a deep dive on the working geniuses of discernment and galvanizing. Mm-hmm. Let's start with a quick review. So there okay. are six stages of work. Last episode, we did a deep dive on the first two, which are wonder and invention. So mm-hmm. wonder identifies the need for improvement or change. Mm-hmm. Invention confirms the importance of the need and generates ideas or solutions. So we'll focus on the next two today, which are discernment and galvanizing. Discernment assesses the merit and workability of the ideas or solutions, and galvanizing generates enthusiasm and action around the idea or solution. And then in the next episode, we'll do a deep dive on the last two, which are enablement, which agrees to support and assist in the implementation of the idea or solution, and tenacity, which is getting the idea or solution completed and ensuring that the results are achieved. So let's start with discernment. Mark, you've got the genius of discernment. As you've been thinking about this the last couple of years after you've done the working genius, you know, how does it feel for you? What what does that look like for you? Yeah, I guess first thing I should mention is when I first discovered this genius of discernment and realized or learned that I had it, I felt very proud of this genius. Mm -hmm. It's probably the genius I'm most proud of because to me, feels like something that can be valuable and help others, but also for myself. And so I love also developing this genius and working on it. Um, When I think of the gift of discernment or the genius of discernment, two mental pictures come to mind. The first would be that of like a metal detector at the beach. The thing that you see these kind of quirky people (laughs) at the beach with their like full zip up hoodies, just walking around looking for missing hidden treasures. Discerners kind of function that way. They're always looking around, trying to get a feel for something that could be good or valuable. And then the other picture that comes to mind is just that of a bloodhound who's picked up a scent and they're off to the races or looking under logs and around trees and going throughout the forest, just looking for whatever it is that they're hunting, maybe a fox or some delicious mushrooms or something like that. So what the genius of discernment feels like, well, for me, it starts with looking at a lot of information. At least that's how I like to use this genius. I know for those who don't necessarily uh, enjoy using the discernment genius, they often feel overwhelmed by options. I love having a myriad of options to go through, turning over each stone, looking at each one, picking it up, looking at the different angles. It's a lot of fun just getting to understand why something's good and why it isn't good. And then as a result, you get a strong feeling about what would work really well. It's kind of like a gut feeling that eventually develops over time. And then there are these other types of discerners who start with a strong gut feeling, and then they end up putting in the work of looking at options and trying to figure out why it is that they liked the option they had a gut feeling for to begin with. So there's kind of two angles you can take with with discernment and what it feels like. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things that discerners do very simply to narrow their universe down, because it can be overwhelming having a lot of options in front of you, is they've got a mental filter that they like to use. Often it's based on their personal values or preferences or 
best practices they might have learned throughout life. And being able to have a filter ready to go very quickly eliminates all the junk. And so now they're just left with their top 10 or 15 ideas. And then they whittle it down to their top five or three and then pick from there. I've got a system. <laughs> Whenever we want ice cream, I have a system. I know I'm going to get it from Superstore because that's where I found the best <laughs> deals on ice cream, Tim. And based on my family's preferences and based on the fat to cream to sugar ratio, we know it's going to be Ben and Jerry's or Haagen-Dazs every time. <laughs> and then one step further, I know it's going to be something caramelly for myself, for my oldest daughter, or something a little cakey and chocolatey or cookie-ish for my wife and youngest daughter. Okay. So it's like narrowed this entire row aisle of ice cream options. And then I just look for whatever's cheapest or the deal of the week. And it took me a while to develop that, but now like buying ice cream is a quick process. All right. Shout out to uh, Superstore and their ice cream. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. If you'd like to buy an ad spot with us, uh, <laughs> yes. that's available. Ben, Jerry, if you're listening, Mr. Dawes, Mr. Hagen, I don't, I don't even know if these are people. <laughs> I do something similar with, with investing when you're looking for companies to invest in. I've got some filters that just narrow because there's thousands and thousands of different companies in the world you can invest in. And I've got some filters that help me reduce it. So ultimately, I think for people with the genius of discernment, it kind of feels like guardrails or parameters that they like to work with. And then from there, they might have a gut feel of what it is in that particular sandbox or in that particular area that they would like to go with. Or it could be the other way around where they have a gut feel and then they do the work of trying to explain and articulate why they have chosen what they've chosen. The interesting thing about people with the genius of discernment is I will tell them about the working genius and they will have already guessed the results. And then they'll take the assessment and they'll be like, right. <laughs> Whereas for me, when I heard about this, I was like, oh, I definitely have the gift of discernment and it's actually a frustration. And so that just shows how <laughs> terrible at it. I don't have that gut feel. <laughs> but what I love about the people with the genius of discernment is that they make better decisions and they help me make better decisions. And as someone with the genius of invention, I come up with tons of ideas, but where I get stuck is deciding which one of the ideas will work the best. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, an example is we were trying to name this podcast and my wife and I came up with nine names and I looked at all those names and kind of mulled around and thought about it for like two weeks and just made zero progress in terms mm -hmm. of coming up with, you know, the right name and I was like, oh, I should talk to Mark about this. He's got uh, discernment as a genius. You know, we had like a two minute conversation. I showed you the options and you very quickly narrowed it down to top three. Hmm. And that's kind of your gift of discernment at work. You just had that instinct hmm. and you saved me a ton of energy by doing that. And from the top three, it was pretty simple to choose the one that we liked thriving as a goal. And so that was a process of choosing the name. Thanks to Mark for his help. Another example, one of my friends and people that I work with quite often has a genius of discernment. And he says, people often rely on him to order food at a restaurant for everyone. And he says he's developed a rubric for how to decide based on cost and enjoyment and who's present. And this rubric allows him to make good decisions on behalf of the entire group. And he really enjoys that process and that he gets to be the person that chooses for everyone. Mm -hmm. So just... Amazing to have discerners in your life and on your team. For sure. 
So let's talk about what discernment as a frustration feels like. So both my wife and I have the frustration of discernment. And oftentimes when we're working together, we do get stuck in the decision-making part of the process. And it's not that we can't make decisions. It's just that the process of analyzing the many options that we create is very draining. Mm. It just takes a lot of energy to do that decision-making. Right. I mean, here's another example. I was researching music for the podcast. I listened to, you know, 150, 175 options and narrowed it down to about seven. And I listened to those seven options a few times, but had no idea which one was the best one. And I spent all my discernment energy that night because I was exhausted hmm. after doing that work because there was just so much discernment as part of it. And I, you know, I sent those seven options to you and you very quickly had a number one choice, number two choice. And so he kind of helped me finish that leg of kind of the relay race there. So let's talk about uh, tips for people with the genius of discernment. Mark, what tips do you have for them? For someone with the genius of discernment, I highly recommend or encourage pairing up with a partner who's got the gift of wonder or invention. So this is why Tim and I, I think, work really well together. When you're given quality options, quality ingredients. Like if you're a cook, you want to have the best ingredients and people with the genius of discernment aren't necessarily going to go and find the great options out there. They will analyze them. And so having an inventor who can give you some really good options to work with is a great start. It just improves the overall quality of the recipe or food you're trying to cook. For people with the genius of discernment, it would work in your advantage if you can hold back your discernment energy during the wonder and invention stage. Let these creative geniuses do their thing. Don't get in their way. Let them put all their good and bad ideas out there. Because sometimes discernment, if it happens too early, it can feel like shooting down ideas or criticism, which for creatives, you don't want to criticize them while they're in that creative stage. It just kills the whole process for them. Um, so if you see any flaws or if your gut instinct is starting to kick in early, try and hold back if you can until the discernment time comes. Too much discernment energy can really dampen the free-flowing wonder and invention energy. And so lastly, if you can help a discerner ask why they think what they think, why they feel what they feel, that'll go a long way in helping them very quickly explain that down the road. A lot of discerners have a gut feeling, but they can't often, often they can't explain it to someone. And so just developing the ability to explain your ideas, explain why you think something is good. It just goes a long way in working with the rest of your team. Mm, that's a really good tip. Yeah. Cause sometimes it's hard when you tell people, I've just got a gut feel for this and people kind of want to know why. And so being able to articulate that why is helpful for the rest of the team. For yeah, sure. For sure. Good leadership is good communication, right? Mm -hmm. So here's some tips for people with the frustration of discernment, like myself. Work with other people and get their feedback. Use their kind of discernment energy to help you move forward. Do the discernment work together with other people. Borrow from their energy. That's usually what I do. And what I've done in the past is sometimes I will crowdsource the discernment. So I've had projects where we've had to design a logo or create a name for a client or for ourselves. And I will post 
four options on social media and just ask for people's feedback. Mm. And people on social media will go crazy. They love <laughs> this type of thing. They just love to give feedback, give input. Sometimes they'll generate more ideas. Sometimes they'll criticize and just shoot down the bad ideas. <laughs> Sometimes I've even had people like give me and do work to create new ideas. Like, what about this design? And they'll like actually create another design and kind of post it for us to see. And so it's really helpful that way just to see what people feel and kind of help with that process. And the social media algorithm really loves these type of posts because mm -hmm. the engagement and that just kind of boosts the ranking and more people see it. And mm -hmm. so it adds a lot of visibility, a post like this. So in essence, I'm using my galvanizing genius, which we'll talk about later, to ask for help in my discernment frustration. Hmm. Very interesting. If you really need to do discernment work and there's no one really to help you with it, schedule in the energy to do the work. You can do it, but just know that it'll cost you more energy than other things. And so do it when you're at your best, when you have the most energy. And for me, that's first thing in the morning. Someone with the gift or genius of discernment, they often feel, or at least I often feel super valued and considered when someone comes to me with something to discern for them. I think discerners really crave trust. And so when you give that to them, it almost activates them and let them lets them do their thing. Um, however, something that can be potentially crushing for discerners is if you don't necessarily see them or their opinion as something that should be sought after. Perhaps if some people feel like uh, if you ask them to prove themselves as discerners, that can sometimes be crushing for some discerners, whereas other discerners really enjoy the challenge of getting to prove why they think what they think. Perhaps this is a discerner with maybe some tenacity in them. I know that we've spoken with some people with the genius of discernment who weren't phased by the prove it mentality. And so it is possible for me personally, when I get asked to prove it, I feel a little disappointed. I feel a little bit crushed by that just because it feels like, oh, you don't trust me. You don't believe that I have some value to offer here. I know that's not always true. It just kind of feels that way for some discerners. And so I know, Tim, you've coached someone who's had difficulty when people have asked her to prove it because she has a strong gut feel of what mm -hmm. she thinks the best decision is, what instinctively is the right decision, but it's taken some effort and work for her to articulate why exactly she wants to go in the direction she's chosen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's end off this section by talking about what a team without discernment is like. This team would be surprised by failures because they wouldn't have spent a lot of time in the discernment process and they would have failed to adequately evaluate, refine ideas or initiatives. Mm -hmm. And so what will end up happening is they'll end up sort of pursuing a lot of ideas that are kind of half-baked, not fully formed, or just not the right ones. Mm -hmm. And later on, they'll maybe realize that it wasn't very productive or fruitful a use of time and energy in a team I'm a part of that doesn't have a lot of discernment, we end up just trying out a lot of ideas and a lot of them just end up being not very good. And we just don't know it during the time, but it's like in the process of doing the idea, then we're like, oh, actually this is really bad. 
So that wraps up our deep dive on discernment. Let's move on to galvanizing, which is the next working genius. Let's do it. I've got the genius of galvanizing and what that feels like for me is that I really love engaging people and getting people involved in things. I really love kind of adding momentum to projects and people, especially when it's lagging. And I really want to help people understand the why behind the work or behind the project, behind the business, so that they can have their own internal motivation to go do that work. And so I'm always asking, how can we move this project forward? How can we move this team forward? Mm -hmm. And I find myself constantly checking in on people and seeing how they're doing and trying to notice whether you know they're lacking that energy, that motivation uh, to move forward. And so, I mean, a few examples of this. Every Saturday morning is family chore time. And my kids now have that drilled into the head that Saturday morning, they need to do their laundry. They need to clean their desks and we'll spend an hour on it. And, you know, that's probably as much tenacity energy as they have at this age, but I need to check in with them during this hour because they will lose energy. They'll get distracted. They'll see something, you know, fun and shiny on their desk and it'll distract them. And every now and then I'll just kind of be like, hey, how are things going? Check in on them just to help galvanize them towards completing the task. Hmm. Another example is I'm on this team and we're working on a really large project and it spans several months to complete. And a couple of weeks ago, I sensed that the project was kind of stalling and I was like, okay, I need to re-energize people, re-motivate them. And so, yeah. you know, I checked in with the group on WhatsApp, on the WhatsApp group, which had been silent for a while. And just to, you know, hey, what's the update? What's the status? Just so that people know that, you know, I care about how things are going. Um, and then I also checked in with an individual specifically just to see how things are going and how I could help. And that kind of helped re-energize the group and move that project forward. Last story I'll give is that sometimes I need to be galvanized. And so if I'm working on a large client project, sometimes I'll just lose energy in the middle of it. It'll be like a difficult thing that I need to do that I've been avoiding. And I wonder to myself, is it worth it? Does anyone care that I'm doing this hard work? And so to galvanize myself, I've learned to reach out to my client and just show them my work so far, get their feedback. And that conversation or that interaction, that galvanizes me because it's a reminder of, oh, there is someone that cares that I do this work and it is important. And it just gives me the extra energy to kind of go make it to the finish line. Hmm. Okay, so let's talk about what I appreciate about the genius of galvanizing. I really rely on people like Tim to get my juices flowing. I need Tim's energy and his questions and also his perspective to get me excited about what I'm going to work on, even in preparing for this podcast, because I lack tenacity. Sometimes I feel like, oh, shoot, I need to put some time and effort into that. And I'm dragging a little bit. And then from the moment I logged into this call, I feel 
excited and ready to go because I'm feeding <laughs> off Tim's energy here. It's really helpful. Galvanizers are good at pointing to the North Star, I find. They're good at reminding me of the why behind what I'm doing, which is inspiring and motivating. And I really need that. I just uh, read this story about Christopher Nolan, the movie director, who likes to have this one paragraph summary of why he's trying to tell the story he's trying to tell or why he's working on the movie he's working on. Mm. And he refers to it often throughout the production to keep him on track and to help him remember the whole heart of the project. And I find that's exactly what galvanizers do. They're great people to check in with as you're mm. working on a project. And so with that in mind, the gift of galvanizing is really powerful when you're working on a difficult, long, arduous, or tough project, because mm. they will, again, remind you of why it's important, give you that shot in your arm that you need, and hopefully keep you pointed at the reward or prize that's waiting at the end of it. Yeah. And galvanizers, what they do is they kind of rally people together towards a project. And sometimes that requires taking people away from what they're currently doing. And so mm -hmm. there is a kind of a convincing process to help bring their energy towards this. And sometimes mm. people can be resistant because, you know, they're busy, they have their own things to do. And so that's what the galvanizer does. Mm. For those with the working frustration that is galvanizing, it often feels for them, at least feels difficult to motivate others and rally the troops to go and do the work that is necessary. Uh, some individuals with the frustration of galvanizing might even feel that they shouldn't have to motivate anyone to do the work that they're supposed to do. We're all adults here. Just go do your job. This is kind of how it was in school, at least when we were kids. You just get assigned your homework and you're expected to do it. And so for a lot of people, they would rather just do the work themselves than ask for help, especially if they have galvanizing as a frustration. Mm -hmm. um, Tim and I were chatting earlier about those with the genius of tenacity because they're just such hard workers. They're just like, ah, you know what? I'll just do it myself. Mm -hmm. And people who find it difficult to delegate tasks and projects, they often want to just do it themselves. I know a lot of business owners struggle with giving up control and letting things go for others to do. It's possible that they have galvanizing as a frustration. Mm -hmm. so, so Tim, do you have tips for us on how people with the genius of galvanizing can better function or utilize their gift? Yeah, for sure. I think one tip is to be careful of mixing your genius of galvanizing with your other genius, whether it's wonder, invention, or discernment, um, enable even enablement and tenacity. And so what could end up happening is people could get confused as to whether you're trying to galvanize them or whether you're actually in another stage of work. And so for me, I've got invention and galvanizing. And so sometimes when I'm brainstorming ideas, I will sound like I'm trying to convince other people to do the ideas when actually I'm just kind of brainstorming. And, and the mistake will be that people will misunderstand the energy I have with invention as me trying to galvanize them and mm -hmm. them needing to go ahead and actually do the thing when you know we still need to do some discernment on those ideas. And probably a lot of those ideas will never make it past the discernment stage. And so um, just be careful about mixing your galvanizing with some of the other uh, stages of work where you have geniuses in. And then I think another tip is that the skill of galvanizing can be developed. 
Um, and that has to do a lot with understanding other people and helping them find their own motivation and understanding what they need to move forward. So knowing other people's working geniuses and working frustrations can help you galvanize better. Mm. And so, um, for example, it's not really that hard to galvanize people with enablement to help others because they're going to be very motivated to do it. And it's not really hard to galvanize people with tenacity to do the work because they're already motivated to do it. But if you had to galvanize people with enablement or tenacity as a frustration, well, you might need to kind of help them really understand the why behind it because they're going to, they're not going to be as motivated to kind of move forward with those things. All right. So then why don't we give the people some tips who might have galvanizing as a frustration? Mm-hmm. Well, one easy thing to keep in mind is if an individual has galvanizing as a frustration, but also has the genius of wonder, invention, or discernment as a strength, then you won't need to galvanize them very much because they've already been part of the visioning and decision-making process. And so they've already bought in to a certain degree and understand the why behind the project. So just a quick one there, if, if that is a possibility for anyone. And then strategically, if you want to focus your efforts on galvanizing someone with galvanizing as a genius, then they will start activating and going around galvanizing everyone else. If galvanizing is a working frustration, then you just want to be very strategic in spending that energy. Yeah. And as an example of that is my wife has galvanizing as a frustration. And Mm. so she's learned that whenever she needs to galvanize our whole family to go do something she wants to do or she wants to get done, it's a lot quicker if she just convinces me. Mm -hmm. And once I'm on board, then I can get my kids and the rest of my family on board much easier because I have that galvanizing energy. And so instead Mm. of her trying to have to convince everyone. Makes sense. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, what galvanizers crave and what they're crushed by. So people with a genius of galvanizing, they really crave engagement. And so whenever I am uh, galvanizing people, I love feedback. I love questions. I love to see, you know, their facial reactions. I love it when there's laughter. So any type of engagement and response helps me understand where they're at. And what I'm crushed by is apathy. And so I would rather have people disagree with me because at least I know where they're at and I know, mm. you know, what I have to work with, what's the starting place. Um, and I can kind of move from there. But the worst really is apathy when people just have no response at all. Cause I just don't know what they're taking in, where they're at. Uh, it's really difficult when people are apathetic. I think when I'm speaking to a crowd, that's the part that's the hardest is like people falling asleep when I'm talking to them. I'm like, oh shoot, I'm doing a terrible job at this. And it's a bit crushing when that happens. Yeah, for sure. And then when working with a team that doesn't have galvanizing in it, that team can fail to inspire to get the projects going Um, working in this kind of team, it can feel like it doesn't generate a lot of excitement and momentum around new initiatives. You often won't hear about projects until they're finished. If there aren't any galvanizers on the team and people end up working in silos rather than together. 
And so this can take a lot of the joy and fun out of working in a team if you don't have a galvanizer there. Uh, Tim, I know you chatted with a leader recently who put a lot of effort into the wonder, invention, and discernment parts of a project, and they came up with a very good idea. However, because there wasn't enough buy-in from the company, the idea just fizzled and died. And so this is what can happen when you don't have a galvanizer as part of your team. And the leader, unfortunately, just felt like the idea was wasted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this concludes our episode for today. The next episode, we'll talk about the last two stages of work, enablement and tenacity. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that conversation with you, Mark. Me too. We'll talk to everyone soon. Okay. Bye, everyone.